Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, plant friends. I am so glad you are joining me in the backyard today. It's really been kind of a decent week. Um, We've had some rain, which is nice. We love that free water. We've had some nice sunny and warm days. And we even got a little bit of drop in the temperatures. I'll be honest, I have not been paying very close to attention to the weather this week. So it kind of surprised me when I woke up um, one day this week and it was cold. I know... It will be very warm soon enough, but dang it, it was pretty nippy. Fortunately, it seems to have been a good thing for some of my plants out in the veggie beds. The sugar snap peas are finally starting to put on some growth. I've got lots of good growth on my potatoes too, but I'm most excited about my strawberries. My strawberry plants look amazing and they have lots of strawberries coming on and I really think that they benefited from our freeze back in February. Even though my strawberries were covered, I was worried that the freeze um, was going to ruin them, but they were actually perfectly fine when I first uncovered them. Um, the leaves are still green and you know even though I lost a few of the early blossoms um, the plants were totally fine and you know over the course of this past month um, as the weather has warmed up in central Texas those strawberry plants really started filling out and just in this the past couple of weeks these little strawberries um, started blooming like crazy but more importantly I'm excited because I am seeing a lot of fruit on them and they are ripening so nicely. Like most homegrown produce, homegrown strawberries are just so much more flavorful than store-bought strawberries. I love those shiny ruby red berries. They are softer and they're juicier than store-bought strawberries. Those store-bought strawberries um, tend to be more firm and they're not especially juicy so those backyard strawberries are just one of my favorite things ever now strawberries do not continue to ripen after they are picked they're not like tomatoes that you can just um, pick when they're still kind of green and leave them on the counter and they'll finish ripening inside you have to let strawberries get all the way red before you pick them And when it comes to homegrown strawberries, the challenge every single year is letting them get fully ripe before the birds or the critters get to them. I mean, I don't blame them. Everybody loves strawberries from the garden. It's probably the most favorite thing for the kids to grow and adults too. Um, But honestly, it's so frustrating because the birds and the critters love strawberries too. Now the birds are fairly easy to keep out. Um, 
you can just cover your plants with bird netting. It's kind of cumbersome to have to like lift it up and get your strawberries out, but um, strawberry netting, I mean bird netting is going to keep some distance between the berries and the birds. And lots of birds are attracted to the color red. If you are a crafty person, um, here's something that you can try. You can paint some um, rocks red and you know add some um, dots on there to make them look like seeds and maybe add some like the little strawberry leaf at the top and then let those dry and then place those in your strawberry bed so the idea is to place these painted rocks in your strawberry plants um, so that it will trick the birds into pecking the rocks instead of your sweet strawberries the birds will get fed up with the rocks and hopefully leave your strawberries alone Pill bugs, or as some folks call them, roly polies, love strawberries. And there's nothing more frustrating than waiting for a beautiful strawberry to ripen just perfectly. And then you go out to pick it and you discover that the bottom side has been nibbled into by some pill bugs. They can't help it, they're just hungry little bugs. And strawberries really are delicious, so it's hard to hard to blame them there. But pill bugs normally eat decaying plant material, but for some reason they just can't resist beautiful red ripe strawberries, and it's so damn annoying. Pill bugs like moist environments, so they're probably drawn to strawberries for the moisture, but they kind of stick around once they get a taste of them. I have found that if I keep the berries off the soil, it's harder for the pill bugs to get to them. When the strawberries start turning red, um, I'll kind of tuck the fruits up um, into the leaves so they aren't touching the ground or, um, or the mulch. You can try to um, remove any dead leaves. Since pill bugs are attracted to plant decay, by taking those leaves out, um, you might be able to deter them a bit. But consuming decay is a good thing. Um, pill bugs are like nature's little garbage disposals. So having pill bugs in your garden is not a terrible thing unless they start eating holes in your strawberries. If you um, find that you have this problem, you can set up some pill bug traps. And all you have to do is place like a shallow dish in your bed and then fill it up with some beer. Try to place the dish into the ground so that the lip is kind of level um, with the ground. Um, the pill bugs will be attracted to the beer and then um, they'll crawl over and fall in. And I have no idea if they get drunk and they drown, but they're terrible swimmers. And whatever actually happens, beer traps work great. They work really well on trapping snails and slugs too. Beer traps are extremely effective, but they're also super disgusting, especially when you need to go empty them. Just thinking about a dish full of dead pill bugs and slugs and snails in beer is so disgusting. But fortunately, you don't want to do that you can also make traps out of fruits and potatoes 
For a fruit trap, you can cut an orange in half, for example, and place the cut side down on top of your soil and just leave it overnight. Those pill bugs are very active at night and they will find the fruit the next day. You can just lift up the fruit and there will be a ton of pill bugs. Just take a shovel or a spoon and just scoop the pill bugs out and you can relocate them to your compost pile. To make a potato trap, um, just slice a potato in half long ways and then scoop out the middle um, and make a cavity in it like a little boat. And then you just take your little potato canoe and you place it down on your soil, cut side down. Give it a day or so and check it. You should find lots and lots of pill bugs and then you can just relocate them to your compost pile. Um, the thing with the potato is that they're harder and firmer, so you can actually just shake off the pill bugs and reuse the potato and you keep using it until um, it deteriorates too much and then you can just throw um, the potato and your pill bugs into the compost. Now, if you are really, really struggling with pill bugs in your strawberry patch, you can use diatomaceous earth or a product called Sluggo Plus. Um, Sluggo Plus is appropriate for organic gardening. Diatomaceous earth is perfectly safe for humans, but when you use it in your garden, it's hell on soil critters. Diatomaceous earth is a fine powder that is made from sedimentary rocks that contain fossilized remains of aquatic organisms called diatoms. The powder contains 80 to 90 percent silica um, and when an insect crawls across it the diatomaceous earth scratches up their bodies and it causes them to dehydrate and dry out diatomaceous earth will take care of soft body critters like caterpillars and aphids as well as beetles fleas and roaches but now before you go and get you some diatomaceous earth and start covering all your plants in it, there is a downside to using it in your garden. Diatomaceous earth does not discriminate between the bad bugs and the good bugs. Um, and you want to keep those good bugs around like ladybugs and lacewings, butterflies and bees. So just be cautious and thoughtful when using diatomaceous earth. The kind they sell for swimming pool filters, um, that's not going to work. So get the food grade diatomaceous earth. It's not hard to find. Um, but be sure to get the food grade kind if you decide to try it. Sluggo Plus is, is an organic product that you can use if you don't want to use the traps or diatomaceous earth to deal with your pill bug problem. There's um, a original Sluggo and then there's Sluggo Plus. For pill bugs, you want the Sluggo Plus. Um, it contains iron phosphate and spinosad. Sluggo Plus is also useful for addressing issues with earwigs, cutworms, pill bugs, snails, and of course, slugs. Now to me, spinosad is a pretty cool insecticide, if insecticides can be considered cool. Anyway, um, spinosad is a natural substance that is made by soil bacteria and it's highly toxic to insects. It affects their nervous systems and so when they eat or touch it, it causes their muscles to, um, I guess, flex uncontrollably. Um, 
Within a couple of days, they will die. Spinosad breaks down in um, sunlight and it doesn't run off into the water table. Other microbes will also break it down. So to me, it's a really great treatment um, for dealing with problem insects. And you can find spinosad um, separately from sluggo. So if you have issues with insects, granular spinosad um, is something that we like to keep on hand. Um, it, it works really well on fire ants. I always prefer to do the least amount of harm in my garden and with pill bugs there are very gentle ways to deal with them without having to reach for um, poisonous products and you know a lot of times um, those things are kind of expensive too but uh, yeah here's just one little last um, fact about pill bugs did you know that they aren't actually insects they are land-dwelling crustaceans, and they are little tiny cousins to shrimp and lobsters. And just like shrimp, they're edible. So just tuck that little bit of information away in the back of your brain. Store it along with all your other zombie apocalypse survival skills. Now that is early April in Central Texas, we are in prime planting season, especially for starting plants from seeds. So take advantage of our mild temperatures right now and get some seeds in the ground. Right now we can plant beans, melons, Swiss chard, corn, cucumbers, okra, southern peas, and then of course all the squashes. So you can plant summer squash, winter squash, and pumpkins. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that I had found some um, pumpkin seedlings that had sprouted up in my compost pile last winter when I had finally moved my pumpkins off the porch. We um, busted them open and then tossed them into the compost pile. We had a, a couple different kinds. I knew that there was a red Cinderella um, type, and then we also had a gray turban pumpkin, and then we had some gourds. So at the time, when I first noticed them, I wasn't really sure what kind of seedlings I had, but last weekend after the show, I lifted the seedlings out of the pile and potted them up to grow out a little bit before I move them into the garden. Um, I haven't decided where I want to um, plant the pumpkins this year, so right now they're just in a pot, but I am certain that they are the regular jack-o'-lantern um, type pumpkins because there were some of the rind um, still in there that hadn't fully decomposed um, that was in there with the seedlings and it was that bright pumpkin orange so that's pretty cool and it was definitely unexpected and maybe with a little luck we will have some free jack-o'-lanterns this year also during April we can plant sweet potatoes in Texas we can grow two types of potatoes we can grow sweet potatoes and we can grow Irish potatoes. Both put out tubers, but the tubers form on different parts of the plants. Tubers are basically um, food storage um, formations and their job is to store up nutrients for the next growing season. Both sweet potatoes and Irish potatoes are very nutritious and quite delicious, but they are actually two different types of plants. Sweet potatoes are 
a warm season crop. Sweet potatoes form tubers on their roots where Irish potatoes are a cool season crop and they form tubers from their stems. Irish potatoes are just now finishing up their growing season so we can't plant them right now um, but we can wait and we can plant Irish potatoes again in the fall so that we can have a fall harvest. Sweet potatoes are more tropical and they love the warm hot weather. The leaves of sweet potatoes are also edible. Now sweet potatoes aren't grown from a seed or a potato cutting like Irish potatoes. They grow from slips. A slip is just a rooted sprout from a mature sweet potato. So um, if you've ever forgotten about a sweet potato in your pantry and it puts on like shoots and some leaves, um, that's a slip. You can order slips online, um, but you can, you can also call around to local independent nurseries um, in the area and find out when they expect their slips to come in. You're not going to find um, sweet potato slips at the big box stores. Um, and sweet potato slips are only available for a pretty short time. So if you want to get them from your favorite nursery, call ahead and find out where, when they'll be getting them in. But if you're a patient, you can try to grow your own slips. It's going to take four to eight weeks if you start now. Um, but we still have enough time to grow some slips before the end of the sweet potato planting window. Um, the planting window is um, starts now. It runs from April through the end of June um, for our part of Central Texas. So there's definitely time to start some slips. There are a couple of ways to intentionally grow sweet potato slips. You can start them in water, which is a more traditional way, or you can start them in soil. The water method involves taking a sweet potato and sticking some toothpicks in the side and then suspending that potato in a jar of water. The submerged section will form roots and then the top portion will form leaves and stems. It's going to take about six to eight weeks for um, any slips to form. The soil method can shave a couple weeks off your growing time. Just take a tray like a disposable um, container and poke some uh, drainage holes in the bottom. You could use like a foil pan or you could use like one of those um, lettuce boxes, the ones that have all the, the leaf lettuces in it. Um, then add some soil starting mix or other lightweight soil. Moisten it a little bit with some water and then nestle your sweet potatoes horizontally in your trays. Just lay them down and then tuck them in. And then about four to six weeks, you'll have some nice green slips that you can use. For either method for starting those slips, um, you're gonna wanna keep them warm and give them plenty of light. When the sprouts are about five or six inches tall, you can gently just pull them off from the sweet potato. Take your sprouts and then root them um, in a jar of water, just like you would root um, a other plant cutting. They should root really quickly in a couple of days, and then you can place your slips out into the garden. 
sweet potatoes really like loose and slightly acidic soil and this is kind of a problem if you want to plant them directly in the ground. Um, here in Taylor and our part of Central Texas, we have that beautiful black clay soil that's heavy and alkaline. So if you're wanting to grow sweet potatoes in the ground, you really need to amend the soil with lots and lots of compost. But you can always grow your sweet potatoes in a raised bed and that's what I'm gonna be doing. Sweet potato plants have um, a lovely leaf and they kind of form vines. They aren't as showy as those lime green or those purple ornamental sweet potato vines that um, you can get at the garden center. They, uh, you see them a lot in bedding plants and then also in hanging, hanging baskets, but your sweet potato crop will look really great in your garden while you wait for the tubers to form. You'll be ready to harvest in three or four months, you know, like 90, 120 days or so. Um, but if you get them, if you get your slips planted by the end of June, you can have fresh sweet potatoes for the fall. You are listening to the Plow and Hose podcast on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. Be sure to check out www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com to learn more about our digital radio station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Host Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends. Um, or you could also head over to wherever you get your podcasts like Spotify or Apple and subscribe to the Plow and Host podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download the episodes and be sure to leave a review. It only takes a few seconds to leave some stars. Reviews help others find Plow and Hose. Okay, this year I decided I wanted to try some new flowers. Um, so I got some seeds. And in my seed starting tray, I have butterfly pea plants that are just now starting to pop up. These guys are a vining plant and they're native to Asia. And I plan to put these plants in um, the spot where I normally grow morning glories. I'm really, really curious about how these do here in Central Texas. Being native to Southeast Asia, butterfly pea is a perennial plant in that part of the world, but they say they can grow here if we just treat them like an annual um, and, you know, just restart them from seed every year. The internet claims that butterfly pea is drought tolerant, so it should do well here. I mean, after all, Central Texas is kind of known for summer heat and drought-like conditions. All parts of the butterfly pea plant are edible, so the flowers, the leaves, the shoots, and the pea pods, all edible. They put out a gorgeous looking indigo blue flower. And from what I understand, it's used as a natural food coloring and folks use it to make blue tea. I like unusual plants and this one sounds really unusual, but also useful being both edible and beautiful. 
plus I can make blue colored tea. I think my little boy will really enjoy that because based on the pictures I saw on the internet, butterfly pea blue tea looks a whole lot like toilet bowl cleaner. I mean, mm, doesn't that just sound so yummy? I don't know. I don't care. Uh, I think it'll be fun. As I was walking around my yard this week, I noticed um, fruit starting to set on my peach trees. One tree was really loaded with blossoms a few weeks ago, and the other one um, didn't have near, near as many blossoms on it. So you can probably guess the one with all the blossoms is the one that has a lot more fruit. Even though I love this and I'm excited that we have so many little fruits on the trees, I know it won't develop. Uh, I know they all won't develop and ripen very well unless I go in and thin the fruits. I hate doing that. I want lots of peaches, but removing some of the fruit is really important for a couple of reasons. Thinning excess fruits will help reduce weight on your branches. Too many peaches can be bad for your um, peach tree. As they ripen, peaches can weigh a lot and with too, much, uh, with too many peaches on the tree, the weight load can cause a lot of damage. Thinning the tree will help you keep your tree healthy and prevent broken branches. Another reason to thin peaches is to get larger, sweeter fruit. A peach tree can only um, sweeten and ripen so much fruit. Trees will try to develop all the peaches. So the more peaches on a tree, the less water, sugar, and other nutrients each peach gets. So you'll end up with smaller and a lot less tasty fruit. By thinning your peaches, you'll get larger fruit, and they're also going to be sweeter and juicier. Trees naturally drop some of the fruit on their own, um, but it's usually not enough. So you'll want to go in and remove more so that you can have more flavorful fruits and then also um, help balance the weight on those branches. You should thin your peaches um, when they when the fruits on the tree are about the size of like a dime um, or a quarter. As you are thinning fruits, um, you'll just go through and snap them off. Um, you'll want to remove any misshapen peaches, like the ones that are kind of growing together and they look like they are a double fruit. Those are never going to um, ripen well and they won't taste good. So just, just kind of pluck those off. Also, um, remove any fruits that you know are going to rub or touch each other when um, as they mature. When they touch, they're not going to ripen evenly. And as the, as the fruit and the branches kind of sway with the wind, um, if they are rubbing up on each other, it can cause um, damage to the fruits. So go ahead and, and thin and, and take some of those fruits off so they don't touch each other. Ideally, there should be one fruit every six to eight inches and that's that's um that will still give you plenty of peaches on your tree all fruit trees benefit from thinning but generally speaking the larger the fruit the more important it is to thin apples 
plums, peaches, nectarines, those all should be thinned for better quality fruits and healthier trees. This year's freeze in February really took its toll on our plants and trees here in Central Texas. All the stress from the ice and the extreme cold delayed the normal spring growth and that has made it really hard to determine if some of our trees and shrubs have actually survived. I was so relieved when the fruit trees um, started budding and blooming a few weeks ago, but my thick trees and my pomegranates and loquat, they still look terrible and they seriously look dead. I've not been any not been in any sort of big rush to prune those trees knowing that the plants um, were severely stressed out plus I've had plenty of other chores to do around the yard but as I was walking in my garden this week I was so happy to see some um, green leaves starting to pop up at the base of my small fig trees I have four fig trees and my three little ones all have brand new leaves and I'm so excited. Figs are one of my favorites. But my big beautiful Celeste fig that is as big as the shed, it still looks super dead. And I'm just having a hard time imagining that the little ones would survive, but my well-established and very productive big fig wouldn't make it I don't know I think the best thing for me to do is just keep ignoring it maybe it will surprise me soon with some new growth I hope so it's a gorgeous tree the loquat that I was so proud of and it looked so nice before the freeze it looked completely dead and sad but I noticed this week also that it's got some new growth in it too. So I'm really optimistic for the pomegranates to come back and of course my big fig. If you planted some new trees um, recently, you know, fruit trees, nut trees, shade trees, any of them, be sure to maintain a nice layer of mulch this spring and all through the fall. New little trees will spend this first year in the ground developing a strong healthy root system and mulch is going to help so much it's going to keep the soil moist it's going to help keep the temperatures cool in the summer heat and it's going to help suppress weeds when trees are young they are competing with other plants for water and nutrients including turf grasses and also weeds Mulch is really, really going to help keep the competition at bay. It's going to keep those weeds down. It's going to help keep the grass out. A nice thick ring of mulch around your tree will also help your new tree stand out from the rest of the lawn. And you're going to be less likely to get too close to the trunk of your tree um, when you're mowing or weed whacking um, because it's got that nice mulch barrier. You'll want at least two inches of mulch around your new tree, but don't just heap it on thinking that more is better. Two to four inches of mulch is perfect. Don't pile up too much around the base of the trunk. 
you're going to want to leave four to five inches away from the tree trunk. Keeping the mulch off the trunk is important so you don't have too much moisture around the young bark. You don't want soggy bark and you don't want overly moist mulch around your trunk. That can cause the bark to split. And when that happens, it's just an invitation for other problems like insects and pathogens and diseases. Any mulch is going to do. You can use fresh wood chips. You can use bagged mulch. You can even use leaves if you've got some extra leaves around. Just get some mulch around your new baby trees. All right, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for joining me out here in the backyard. I'll be back next week with more spring gardening information and maybe some new ideas for your outdoor space. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas. Thank you.